What up, y'all? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your boy, Emmanuel. I am not in the kitchen right now. I mean, I'm in the humble abode of Miss Joanne Hardesty. Joanne, say hello Thank to you, people. Sox. It is my pleasure. Hello, people. Yes, yes. So we're about to get into a, a very good discussion with Joanne as she um, tells us about what she's going to do for her uh, for her campaign and whatnot. But um First things first, man, I want to say a big thank you to everyone that's been listening. Um, the month of March has been amazing. Uh, our biggest month to date. We've been I've been doing this for about a year. And really, in 2018, out of all the total listens that I've had for this podcast, 45 percent of my listens have come in these past three months. And March was amazing. Wow. So, yes. Excellent. And so really quickly, I just want to shout out because um, SoundCloud does track the, the stats and whatnot. So I want to shout out. The top 10 cities of the month of March, man. I appreciate y'all for listening. Number 10, Albany, Oregon. Uh, I don't even know who's in Albany. I don't know anybody there, but hey, hey shout out to Albany. You. They know me. All right. So uh, number nine, Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, whoever you are. And if when, when I'm calling out these cities, man, I don't know who y'all is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So hit me up on um, on Twitter at SXSNDLS, on Instagram at SXSNDLS. And uh yeah, let me know who you are, what your favorite episode is, and whatnot. I'll probably try to do some type of uh, analysis, I don't know, an analysis, but also like a uh, a contest or something, or oh. a little raffle or something. I want to, you know, show y'all a little appreciation. Want, um, yeah, I was just gonna say you want to appreciate your listeners. Yeah, yes. for sure, definitely. So, uh, number eight, Hillsboro. Uh, number seven, my home away from home, Houston, Texas. Went to Texas Southern University for college. So, wow, yeah, excellent. yeah. Um, number six, Brooklyn, New York. Hey. Shout yeah, shout course. out to Brooklyn. Hey. <laughs> Let's go. That's us. <laughs> Number five, uh, Mountain View, California. I've been seeing Mountain View a lot. I don't know who's down there, but hey, y'all, hit me up. Let me know who you are. Uh, Number four, Vancouver, of course, right Makes over sense. the bridge. Ashburn, Virginia. Oh. Whoever is in Ashburn, let me know who you are. I think you know me, and I think I know who you are, but I don't want to say your name because I don't want to be wrong. Right. But uh, yeah, Ashburn, Virginia, Seattle, and of course, number one, Portland. Um, top seven countries. Number seven, Russia. Number six, the UK. Number five, Switzerland. Number four, India. Three, Germany. Two, Canada. And of course, number one, United States. So um, yeah, man, I appreciate everybody that's been listening. Shout out to all of my collaborators. Um, let's see, the first episode that we did in March was... Uh, with with Brandon Hardaway, mental health is wealth. Um, mm. He works at the Abel Gortley Center. Oh, yeah, I know Center you, for Healing. Yeah, yes, I'm exactly. On the board. Yes. So he's uh, he works there, and he also has his own private practice. So nice. we talked about mental health in the Black community and how important that is. You know, Absolutely. so yeah. So um, shout out to Brandon uh, William Johnson. We did the Toxic uh, Masculinity series, mm. and uh, that was really good. Tony Funches, man, I appreciate you. Uh, we did the Wakanda Matters. Um, it was kind of like a play on Black Lives Matter. Uh-huh. And we were talking about the the guiding principles oh, and whatnot. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so we had that. And my brother, uh, Paul Henry Grice III, Beyond Expectations, he talked about what he's been doing for his nonprofit liberation literacy. So once again, man, I appreciate everybody who's been contributing and listening and whatnot. Uh, but now on to my guest. All right. It's Joanne Hardesty. Joanne, how are you doing today? I am doing fabulous. It yeah. is, I am so grateful that you are here and we're having this conversation. No doubt. Me as well. Thank yeah. You. So I appreciate you opening up your home and hey, make, making this happen. So um, tell everybody, you know, who you are, right. where you're from, and, you know, why you're running for it's Portland City, City Council, Council. Position three. Position three. Yes. Okay. And it's the one currently held by Dan Salsman. Okay. I mean, he's been there for a long time. 
16 years. 16 years. Yes. Mm. I can tell you the day I knew we had the wrong people on the city council. Mm, okay. It was October 2016. Mm -hmm. I showed up at City Hall mm -hmm. because I heard the Portland Police Union's contract had been opened and renegotiated in secret. And it was on the fast track to be passed by city council that day. Mm. So I show up with my written testimony. I'm all ready to go in and mm -hmm. do my thing with my two to three minutes that they give me. Mm -hmm. I show up and riot police are surrounding city hall. Homeland Security, TriMet, Gresham, Portland. I mean, and full riot gear, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. So come to find out, the mayor had said that he had a credible uh, source that said there would be disruption at the city council meeting. I thought to myself, do you think? You open a police contract in private, you secretly renegotiate it, and now it's on the fast track before the public's had a chance to really review it? Mm -hmm. You think people are gonna be a little annoyed? Right. So anyway, I get inside, um, and I call our lawyer with the NAACP. I was the NAACP Portland president at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I call our lawyer, because I'm like, this gotta be illegal. You can't shut the public out right. of a public policy conversation. Mm -hmm. So she calls me back a little while later and says, if one city council member had objected, it would have been illegal for the mayor to put riot police outside city hall. But because no one did, it was absolutely legal. Mm. So that was the day I knew it wasn't possible that we had the right people in those seats mm -hmm. if they were okay with that, right? Wow. Um, and so because I knew there were two seats coming up this year, that day really compelled me to start thinking about this has to change. Um, and so what I decided to do was to get a group of friends together and start talking about um, how do we change that dynamic on the city council. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to say I had a group of about 25 folks who volunteered hundreds of hours. And these were professionals who volunteered their professional expertise to help me really think through my campaign. Uh, I moved here January 1st, 1990, mm -hmm. and I've done a lot of things in this community, so I'm known by different communities. I've had a radio show on KBOO for yeah, over 20 years. That. Yeah, I was reading about that. Yes, called yeah. Voices from the Edge. Mm -hmm. I will be back after I win. After you it, win, of course. Yes. We're going to speak that into yes, existence. that's yep. right. And it will be called Voices from the Edge of City Hall. Ooh. So I am very excited about continuing that. Uh, long-term effort with yeah. community media because yeah. uh, it's vital today in this political climate. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so my friends and I got together and developed a plan about how I was going to both roll out my announcement and B, um, how we were going to be prepared for people to volunteer. Mm -hmm. I knew from the beginning I would not raise the most money, but I also knew I'd be able to raise money to be competitive mm -hmm. and that I had a secret weapon. Mm. And my secret weapon was people. Yeah. I had people all over the city who were thrilled, excited about me running, right? No so I knew, I knew I had a secret weapon that nobody else could match, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, in August, I made an appointment, August last year, I made an appointment to go talk to Dan Salzman uh, because I've known him his entire time in public office. Mm -hmm. I worked for Bev Stein at Multnomah County when he was there, mm -hmm. uh, and when he, uh, ran against Tanya Collier for the city council seat. Mm -hmm. I've worked with him throughout that time. Okay. So no personal issues with Dan Salzman. I just personally felt like no one's entitled to a seat for 16 years. Mm. 
And he had boldly announced after the November 2016 election, he was running for re-election because he just wanted one more term before he retired, mm -hmm. right? And I thought to myself, you're not entitled to it. You have to actually earn that, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I made an appointment because I know his, uh, his administrative assistant very well mm -hmm. and I started making an appointment between just him and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, as we got closer to the date, uh, he had her call me and said, well, what's this about? And I said, it's private. <laughs> then a couple of days before the meeting, she calls and says, Dan wants to know if he can bring his, uh, his uh, chief of staff. I said, no. Mm. Because my goal was to be able to eyeball to eyeball Dan and mm. have this conversation. Yeah. And so what I said to him was, Dan, I've known you for a lot of years. I have no personal issues with you. But I think we need a new kind of leadership. And I will be running for your seat. Mm. Apparently in polite Portland, that was actually radical, right? <laughs> I thought because I'd had this long history with this gentleman that it was the respectful thing to do mm -hmm. rather than have him read it in the paper or, right. or hear it on the radio, right? Right. right? I thought, you know, this is what adults do, right? right? Adults look you in the eye and say, uh, here's my position, and I just wanted to give you a heads up. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, and, uh, and so it was a very short conversation. Uh, he asked me why, and I said, because you've been here a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I believe people are ready for new leadership. Yeah. Um, I expected that he would do what other politicians have done over the holidays. I met with my family, and my family and I have agreed. I've, I, I have, I've served well, and it's time for me to just step back, right? right? That's what I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, my effort was too good, because two and a half weeks after my meeting, mm -hmm. he announced that he was going to retire and not seek re-election. Wow. And this was even after he'd already started raising money, was already seeking endorsements. I mean, wow. he was already in campaign mode. So he didn't want to. He didn't want to compete. He didn't want a real fight. Yeah, I'm because saying he, he knew side by side, there'd be no comparison. Oof. He knew that. Wow. And so that's powerful. He decided, uh, I'm just gonna retire. Right. Mm. I was too good. I wish I'd have waited until like December to have that conversation. Right? Mm. Because, but I knew I was taking on an incumbent, and when. Many times I get frustrated during election season mm -hmm. because people file at the last minute mm -hmm. to run against an incumbent. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely nothing you can do against an incumbent when you file at the filing deadline, right? Yeah. Nothing, right? You don't have the time to actually build the base you need. Mm -hmm. My advantage was because I have had so many lives in this community uh, that pe uh, people could look to what I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, NAACP is a great example. Yeah. Uh, in 2015, when the NAACP was about to have elections, its reputation was in the toilet. Mm. Uh, it had no respect in the community. I'm about to get that. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll get it. Yep. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Uh, they, uh, NAACP's reputation had been very badly tarnished. Mm -hmm. um, and I was searching for someone to run for president. Mm -hmm. I had no desire to run for president. Mm -hmm. And as I would engage with people, people would say, well, I will do this if you run for president, right? Mm -hmm. I I'll run, but I'm not gonna run. I don't wanna be president, right? And so ultimately, I ended up deciding, okay, I'll run for president, uh, and I built a great team. Because the NAACP is not about an individual. It's a team. It's right. a team effort because everybody's volunteers. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people 
who are unfamiliar with the NAACP that thinks that the president gets a six-figure income, <laughs> that they got an expense <laughs> account, and it's all paid for by the federal government. I mean, if you ever read the comment sections, yeah. whenever there's an NAACP quote, yeah. it absolutely is fascinating. Right. It's like, where do people get that? Right? Oh, they, they think they know it all. They think they know, yeah. but they don't. Right. And so, um, and so I knew that there were a lot of people from different walks of life who would want to help with this campaign. Yeah. Um, and I have been overwhelmed with support. Yeah. My kickoff was August 21st mm-hmm. uh, of last year. Uh, we had over 300 people at the kickoff. We mm. raised $5,000 that day mm. from $5 contributions to $500 contribution. Nice. But the one that still tears me up was the $5 contribution. Mm. Because when you looked at those wrinkled, worn $1 bills, mm-hmm. you knew that that person was investing mm. in the city council race, right? Mm-hmm. It cost that person more to give that $5 than it did that person to write that $500 check, right? So true, yeah. And I mean, it, when I would talk about that, I would tear up every, because you know, it, I felt it. I felt that this is a person that didn't have a lot, mm-hmm. but the little they had, they wanted to invest in this campaign. Because mm-hmm. this campaign is about people. Yeah. It's, it's about who's been left out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want me to tell you what the four issues are I'm running on? Or do you um, want to go somewhere else first? We'll go we'll go okay. a little bit different route. I, I do want to say that, I think I told you at Miranath, after the Black Voices right. Candidates Forum we right. met, the, the second time, the first time I met you was at um, what school? Warner Pacific. It was the Baltimore and Ferguson. Oh yes, yes. That thing with Reverend. Um, Forgot it. CQ. Yes. 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 Seku Se- Se- yeah. Smith. Seku is his last Sekou's name. Something. Can't remember the first name. Yeah, yeah. Seku is his last name. And you were there, and you were the first person that, that I ever heard talk about Keaton Otis. Ah, yes. And and the justice for Keaton Otis. Yes. Yes. I went to high school with Keaton. Did you? That was my guy. You know what I mean? Like, and I I was in college when that happened when he got killed. Right. Um. So I just heard about it. People yeah, told right. me the story. Right. And I remember the, hearing the story, and right. it never made sense. Yes. Right. Right. Because I know Keaton. He's yes. like the fun loving, right? Kind of goofy, like funny guy. Right. Like he's the jokester. Uh huh. And so to hear my friends, yes, from high school, tell me, oh, Keaton was surrounded by the police and he shot at a cop. I said, Keaton? Right, 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 right. Like, never been in trouble, never right. been to jail. Right. Does not know to own a gun. Right. Like, he, he shot at a police officer? Like, really? Right. But that was the story. Oh, yeah, yes. man, he had mental problems. Yes. And that's like, everybody just believed what was given yes. to them. Yes, And you were the first person to speak mm-hmm. true to that situation and yes. open my eyes to it. And I went and watched the video. Right. And I was just like, this is crazy. That, you know, is interesting because just last week, the city auditor, which is an independent elected leader, mm-hmm. produced two reports on the Gang Enforcement Task Force. Mm. Uh, looked at data from 2016. They made 1,800, they had 1,800 encounters with community members in 2016. Mm-hmm. There are 28 members of the Gang Enforcement Unit they don't take calls. They don't participate unless there's an emergency in any other precinct activity. They have free reign to go out and look for gang members. Okay? 90%, I will say this again, 90% of the 
of the people the gang enforcement unit pulled over in 2016 were African American. Surprise, surprise. 90% in a city with a 6% African American population. Now, prior to me reading the auditor's report, mm -hmm. I have been saying for years, because the information we the public get about what happens in the police bureau, we get directly from the police. Mm -hmm. We have no direct access, mm -hmm. right? So we take their information that they share with us. I thought 44% was the number of people, African, was the total of the gang stops were 44%. Okay, that was, was initially reported. That's what they've been reporting since 2012 mm -hmm. when they released the first stop data. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't changed since 2012, mm -hmm. right? So what was interesting to me was, now here I am, I'm someone in the know. I've been doing police accountability for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Every time an independent, a truly independent source goes into the Portland Police Bureau, mm -hmm. we find chaos. Mm -hmm. We find a lack of supervision, mm -hmm. a lack of standards, a lack of protocols, mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But because the public, the, the public, gets information from the police. The police tell us where crime's happening, who's committing crime, who the criminals are, how much money they need, what weapons they need. The police are the only ones to give us information about that, right? Um, and so this audit is key. I would encourage your listeners to go online, mm -hmm. City of Portland Auditor's Office. Okay. Both reports are online. But here's the thing. So 90% of their stops are of African Americans. Let's talk about prosecution. Out of the 90% of African Americans they stop, mm -hmm. the entire prosecution for those 1,800 encounters, 19% of their stops lead to any kind of criminal prosecution. Only 2% had any weapons. Mm. When, the, when the researcher asked, so what's the criteria you use to determine whether or not a gang member is in a car. Mm -hmm. They don't have any. It is the officer's experience and expertise that determine. But clearly, it's failing miserably, right? Because if you're stopping 1,800 people and you're only prosecuting less than 20% of the people that you're stopping, right? There's a disconnect there. Mm -hmm. The fact that even before this report, no one on the city council had the intellectual curiosity to ask why in a city with a 6% black population, 44% of the stops were African-American, right? I mean, it's like, that's just outrageous, right? And even if you believe the police, mm -hmm. that gang activity happens between 12 and 24, mm -hmm. how many times do we stop every 12 to 24-year-old black child in the city of Portland? It's gotta be like overwhelming, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we don't have political leaders who dig into that and ask hard questions mm -hmm. um, it's a problem so that leads me to one because I want to okay. talk about the police thing all right. All right. but I will go wherever you want this, me. the question that I have I was like yes. I have to ask you okay. this question all right. so and I got to read it because okay. I don't, I don't want to mess it up I hear you so it has been said that it is not possible to effectively speak and or act to eliminate any major problem that involves people 
without first eliminating the problem of white supremacy and or racism mm. in every area of activity. So that's mm. economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. So in what way do you plan to aid in resisting white supremacy while working with a cacophony of liberal white people who think they're not racist because they voted for Obama and have Black Lives Matter signs in their yard. Like I said, when you said that earlier, right, I was right, like, you already. Right, right. So how do, how do you plan on speaking to us? Because when you say mm. no one had the intellectual. Curiosity, right? Why? White supremacy is on autopilot. Yes. They they don't care. As long as, to, in, in my view of mm. it, outside looking in, right. I'm young, but I haven't been around. But from what I can see, right. what I can tell, what, I, what I've read, in history, white supremacy is going to white supremacize. Yes. So <laughs> if they say, all right, you handling the niggas in the hood, cool. Yes. We're not going to, don't, we don't, I don't want to ask no questions. Right, 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 right. You do what you got to do. You do what you do. You do what you got to do. Deal to with, keep just, just us deal safe. with them. Exactly. Right, right. Or just not even keep us safe. Keep them in their place. In their place, where they belong. Right. Because we're not even harming them. Right. This is violence within young kids in their own neighborhoods. It's not harming the yes. white people. Yes. So how do you, how so do you plan to speak to that type I of white I spent a lot of time uh, talking to white liberal poor. Yeah. Um, as you know, uh, uh, 47,000 people moved here last year. There'll be another 40, I didn't know it was that much. 47,000 will be moving here this year, right? <sighs> okay. And so... We have so we have two white liberal Portlands, right? We have mm-hmm. the new arrivals mm-hmm. who think everything cool happened because they showed up, right? <laughs> and then we have the long the folks who've lived here for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I spend time reminding people of Oregon's history. Mm. Oregon being the only state allowed into the union with its slave. Oregon being the first state, the first law Oregon passed was the one that excluded black people from being able to live in the state. Mm -hmm. I have to remind white liberal Portland that this is our legacy. This is our history, right? Mm -hmm. This is what the birth of Oregon was created as a white homeland, right? Mm -hmm. There was never any intentions of any people of color being here permanently except for the slave force, right? Mm -hmm. Other than that, they expected us to be gone. The fact that Portlandia has created this fantasy version of Portland Mm -hmm. is part of the problem because many people move there looking for Portlandia Mm -hmm. and what they find is an urban community that is on the cusp. It's on the cusp of being a rich playground for white wealthy people um, and one where people of color and low income people are pushed out to the edges of the city. right? Um, so what I know is that, um, a lot of white people woke up after Donald Trump got elected. In fact, I spent the first six months after his election going to Beaverton, Lake Oswego, Hillsboro, talking to primarily white congregations about their role in eliminating white supremacy and fighting for a racially just society. Mm-hmm. Guess what I found? Mm-hmm. They're starved to know what to do. Really? People are so immobilized by not having the perfect answer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in a place like <clears throat> the Pacific Northwest, where um, I call it uh, Portland uh, politeness, mm-hmm. right? Portland politeness doesn't allow us to talk about real issues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We will spend two hours in a meeting and walk out of it and have no clue what the heck the decision was that was made. Right. And it's because we don't openly <clears throat> and honestly talk directly 
about race, racism, and the role that uh, ha- that has played in Oregon since its inception, yeah. right? Um, because we want to believe that we're progressive, yeah. right? And we treat everybody the same. And right? we embrace diversity. We emb- and now equity is the new buzzword. Oh. I hate the word equity. I hate it. I Me hate too. It. I hate it. Right? I can't stand it. I- honestly, it's-, it's to the point where I don't even know what it means anymore. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody know what knows what it means. Yeah. Because when I hear people talk about equity lenses, and it's a joke. It is an absolute joke. Because, and that's why I say, I look at outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, don't tell me about, you know, all the flowery, pretty language, that's fine and dandy. Yeah. So what we have to do is understand the state we're in and understand that every institution in this state was built under a white supremacist model. Yep. And if we're ever going to change it, we have to look at it through a racially just um, a process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We have to acknowledge that white supremacy is what built it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and if we don't acknowledge that, then we can't fundamentally change it. What we do is rearrange the chairs on the Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. And pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what we did, right? That's what we do. But the reality is that the systemic racism, the systemic inequality has gotten worse in Oregon in the time that I've lived here. Not better. Yeah. And in fact, the inequity is so pronounced now, you know, it's frightening. Because mm-hmm. here we have kids that at 17, 18, have to decide, do I go to college or do I own a home one day? Mm-hmm. Can't do both, Mm-mm. right? None of you gotta take out loans and you got six-figure loans to go to college. Yeah. And we don't even talk to our kids about college because it's just not affordable, attainable, and quite frankly, the graduation rate, what, second to last in the nation for graduation rates? Is it that bad? It's that bad. Mm. But it's always been worse for black and brown kids in Oregon. For sure. But apparently, there are, peop- there are people that have built careers are fixing uh, these inequities, and they go 20, 30, 35, 40 years, the inequities are absolutely the same. Mm-hmm. They've made a bucket load of money, and now they're off in retirement, Yeah. right? Uh, Oregon loves to hire people who look like us, mm-hmm. but who won't actually upset the status quo. So that's what I'm talking about. So <laughs> what, so what, how do you plan to navigate Disrupting the status quo when you're because you're you'll be on the council of yes. how many people? Uh, five people. Five so there people. are four commissioners and the mayor. Four commissioners and the mayor. Yes. So, how do you plan to influence yes. those people who have, like you said, for right. the past however many right. years, right. 147 years, have been dead set right. on fine tuning yes. white supremacy? Yes. Whether they know it or not, yes. whether they don't know what they're doing, but this is what you're doing. But this is people. the outcome. This right. is the outcome. Right. It. Ch- I, having me on the city council mm-hmm. changes the questions that comes from the city council mm-hmm. bench. It changes the people who are invited to provide expert testimony. Mm. It changes where city council meetings happen, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think you, the public, if I want to hear from you, should have to take off work or school, come downtown at 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning, wait for two hours after the paid city employees pontificate about whatever public policy deliberation is happening, and then give you two or three minutes of testimony, depending upon how much of the public they want to hear from that day, right? I think that that's absolutely uh, disrespectful, and it flies in the face of a representative government. Mm -hmm. If I say I represent you, 
My job is to be out in the community talking to you, mm -hmm. convening think tanks, right? Convening public forums where we're talking about these big public policy issues, right? Together, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I am convinced that all these systemic problems that we have can be solved with true leadership. Yeah. We don't have true leadership today. We have people that talk good games, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they only listen to the people they've always listened to, mm -hmm. right? Uh, politics is a very strange phenomenon, right? <laughs> it takes bucket loads of money to get elected, right? In fact, $250,000 is what I was told I had to raise mm -hmm. if I had any chance of winning my mm -hmm. Portland City Council race, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a daunting task for anybody, yeah. much less people who don't have access to rich people, <laughs> who don't have access to people that are going to write $10,000, $20,000 checks, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big task, right? Mm -hmm. um, but guess what? I am doing mine. I have over 900 individual donors today, mm. right? From $5 to $5,000. Yeah. My $5,000 donor is my ex-mother-in-law. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mean, so that's who I am. And I, I tell the, the house parties real quick. The house parties are a way for people mm -hmm. to be able to meet the candidate, ask questions, for me to raise money. I've raised the bulk of the money that I've raised. So Joanne is having house parties around the city. All over the city. Whether it's a dinner whether it's or a dinner, just coffee and donuts. Whether it's coffee and people have it all different times of day. Yeah. They'll have it at noon, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there will be snacks. But again, people have had formal dinners. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact we're just we're just starting to do open houses. Mm -hmm. We're gonna be at Pizza Baron on April eighteenth on hundred and twenty second from six to eight PM. Okay. Because now we're starting to do events where we're just inviting the general public, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. at first it was about raising resources, recruiting volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and getting my name out into communities where people didn't know me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's about getting as many people as possible to know I'm the very best candidate for position three on Portland City Council, right? Yeah, sure. And so now, hopefully, we're going to get big crowds at these events. But that's the very first one coming up June 18th. Um, at Pizza Baron on 122nd. Mm. And so the house, and so again, because uh, big time developers aren't having lunch with me and writing me $10,000 mm -hmm. checks, mm -hmm. I have to go to regular people, right? Mm -hmm. And people write. I have people that give me $5 a month. I have people that give me $250 a month, mm -hmm. right? People are committed because they know the work I've done. Yeah. And they know I've done the work regardless of the title, regardless of the position I'm in, regardless of what the political will says or when says, right? Because yeah. politicians are flaky people. Politicians will wait until the political win is moving in a direction and they'll jump on the bandwagon, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Politicians rarely lead. Politicians have to be led by the people, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. My expertise, and I think my the, the jewel that I bring to the city council is to my core, I'm a grassroots organizer. Yeah. When I was a state legislator, I didn't forget who I represented. I knew who I represented. Mm -hmm. I represented those ex-felons, those low-income people, those people in transitional housing, right? Mm -hmm. I bought them to sell. I had them testify mm -hmm. at hearings, right? That's what will happen at the city council, yeah. right? It is not my job to represent your voice. It's my job to create the space for your voice to be heard. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. and then consider right in public policy decisions. Yeah. I could go on and on. So you better ask no. another question because yeah. I could. I'm, I'm, I I'm enjoying it. it. I'm enjoying it. But uh, no, I mean, I, I think that'll just be the 
the big challenge just like moving this this mountain of a mm. task which is getting white people to understand what white supremacy like how they're operating in it right. and to get them to start moving out the way to let people actually affect some real change if, yes. if you say you're progressive right. if you say you're about equity right. this it's, is how you do it I've done it right Right. You talked about it, but right. I lived. But it. I've lived it, right? You know what I mean. But here's the thing. I mean, it works on both sides. We have people that look like you and I, mm-hmm. who are gatekeepers. Oh yeah. They think that they're entitled to all the dollars, mm-hmm. and their job is to keep the other black people away. Oh yeah. And they will do that as long as they keep getting their little tiny piece of the crumbs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, they have mastered the art of sounding like they are representative of an entire community, right? (laughs) Yet, if you look behind them, they traditionally show up by themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We as a community have to start calling that out publicly. Oh, yeah. We have to stop accepting the status quo. Yeah. Uh, Roy J is a great example. Roy J, who used to be president of the African American Chamber, I used to laugh because he had about 20 businesses, right? Mm-hmm. He and I worked on Project Clean Slate, mm-hmm. which was an effort to get people with uh, convictions on their record cleaned up, mm-hmm. whether they needed to pay fines so they could get their driver's license back. Uh, oh, yeah, the people that you know went through Clean Slate and right? they helped them out. Well, the first one, right? Oh, okay. So there was Clean Slate that was huge. I mean, we couldn't even take all the people. People came from all over the country. It was free. We got judges and attorneys. We got community members to free mm-hmm. come in, mm-hmm. give people advice on what they needed to do. Got judges to assign community service, small fines, wow. so that people could get their life back on track. Yeah. Roy J. saw a business-making opportunity and set up shop. Project Clean Slate started getting city money, state money, federal money, started charging people who were trying to get their lives back on track $300 to come and listen to him pontificate for four hours. Wow. Public officials knew mm-hmm. that he was dishonest mm. and taking advantage of people who were desperate yeah. to get an opportunity to get their life back. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, Years later, find out the Department of Justice is investigating his misuse of money, mm. spending it on his uh, his Mexican getaway, his Sun River getaway, right? Getting custom-made suits. Every elected official who gave him money knew. Because guess what? They got invitations to his Sun River hideaway mm. and his uh, part of Vallarta or Mexico oh, wow. uh, getaway, right? So I, I have watched this. I've lived I, 29 years. I've been here in Portland. Mm-hmm. And you see this and you think, the pe- there are a lot of people who say that they represent the community. But mm-hmm. there are very few people who actually do. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I am proud to say I am in the latter. I actually represent the community. No doubt. Because most of the time, when I'm putting it on the line, there is no self-interest of mine that is met. Mm-hmm. Keep Notice is a great example. Yeah. I met Fred Bryan, his dad. The week Keep Notice was killed. I met him on the worst week of his life. Mm -hmm. He found that his son was dead on TV. Fred Bryant said, I'm going to be on this corner every month, on the the 12th of every month, to honor my son. Mm -hmm. Some days I'd go, and it would be four of us. 
Some days I'd go, there'd be 20. Mm-hmm. Some days I'd go, there'd be hundreds of people, right? Mm-hmm. But Fred was on that corner in the cold and the rain and the snow, no matter what. In 90 degree weather, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, those bullets that killed Keith Notice also killed Fred Bryant because mm-hmm. his heart gave up, yeah. right? In his fight for justice for his son. I am so proud to say here we are in 2018, this vigil still happens once a month. Really? On the, on the 12th of the month, on the corner of 6th and Northeast Halsey, mm-hmm. Fred Bryant, Keith Notice, and now Christopher Kalanji are all honored at that space every month. Mm-hmm. It is the longest ongoing vigil in Oregon, ever, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It is because the community stood with Fred, yeah. right? And that was kind of an interesting place because the mom forgave the place right away. I still, I don't believe I've ever met Keith Notice's mom. Mm. Uh, and, but that's, you know, every family deals with this differently. Mm-hmm. Kendra James' mom took her a decade to be able to publicly talk about what happened to her daughter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now she's a strong voice, right, for police accountability, mm-hmm. but she couldn't even speak about it for a decade, right? Oh, yeah. And so I am one of those people that in those worst moments of people's lives, did I get the phone call? Can you come? Can you just, right? I cry with them, I hug them, I try to help them find lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. I try to help them do what they want to do. Yeah. There are there are other organizations that use people who have been harmed because they just don't know, right? They're in the middle of their grief, they just don't know. Mm-hmm. I do not show up when some other groups show up. I just I, I just because I know that my goal is to say, what does the family want, right? Mm-hmm. How can I help you? What is it that you need, right? Um, and I do that because, not because I'm an organization, not because somebody paid me, right? Because mm-hmm. somebody had to, right? Mm-hmm. I know how many people in this community that are fearful of speaking up, right? Many are fearful of speaking up because of their background, mm-hmm. what they did in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And are fearful that they're gonna be retaliated against. Certainly, uh, after the police kill a family member, they start targeting and harassing the rest of the family, right? To try to scare them into not filing right. lawsuits, exactly. right? Yeah. I with uh, with um, um, Aaron Campbell, mm-hmm. we had to actually call the police chief and the mayor and say, "Would you please tell the police to knock it off, right? You cannot pull this family over every other day." and pretend somehow you thought the headlight was out, oh, wow. blah, 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 right? Wow. Had to actually go directly to the top. And I'm a big fan of going directly to the top. So when you say, how am I gonna do this? Mm-hmm. I will be having those real conversations. No one could ever bring me a document that said 90% of anything was African American, mm-hmm. and I not <laughs> question it in detail, right? right? When I know how many black people live in Oregon, right? So that leads me to my next question. I mean, how, how do you plan, like what type of conversations or yes. interactions do you want to have with Daniel Outlaw, the new police chief? Or I'm, off, sure, I'm pretty sure you already met her. I, ha- I have. I, I've, I've met with her a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, let me just say, I just love having a police chief named Outlaw, right? <laughs> Isn't that the coolest thing, right? That's something else. Uh, when I first met her, it was hysterical. I had to say to her, I just have to tell you how cool it is having a police chief named Outlaw, right? Yeah. She is a very, very smart woman. Yeah. Uh, but she is, uh, she has a uphill battle Yes. Uh, as chief of Portland Police Bureau. There's mm-hmm. only ever been three women that have held the title of chief mm-hmm. in Portland Police Bureau. Mm-hmm. The first one, Penny Harrington, lasts a couple of months. The mm-hmm. second one, Rosie Sizer, lasts a couple of years. 
But both of those were insiders that came up through the ranks and mm-hmm. were picked, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chief Outlaw is an outsider, yeah. right? And she's from Auckland, yeah. right? And she's a woman, and she's black, Ooh, right? And she's go. young. How old is she? 42. Okay. Right? It's yeah, I know. I used to not think forty two was. Did she young. know what she was signing up for? I mean, did she just feel like So no, she told me that she did her research and she knew where she was coming. Yeah. But I have to say, she's been a surprised a few times. Here's one thing I will share. Because she's young, she probably just didn't She might have seen Poor Landy. She might be a fan of the show. No, 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 no. Here's <laughs> so she was at a luncheon, right? One of these welcome lunches. There's been hundreds of them, mm-hmm. right? She's at one of these welcome lunches. She's introduced to this woman. The woman shakes her hand and says, "I have a question for you." And she goes, "What?" Right? Thinking, "What's your vision for the police girl?" Blah blah blah. Right? You know what her question was? She wanted to know if her two sons had the same father. This is how polite Portland, oh yeah, progressive Portland plays out, right? <laughs> the woman generally that is classic, right? Isn't it? It is absolutely classic, right? Yeah. Here's another one. Hmm. She's at another event, and someone she's introduced to someone. Mm-hmm. After they shake hands, the woman looks at her and says, "I've been to Africa." And Chief Outlaw was quick, quicker than I would have been in that mm. moment. Chief Outlaw said, "I haven't. Tell me about it, <laughs> right?" But these are the people who think they're progressive. Oh, yeah. They think that they're creating dialogue and relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the scariest part about um, unwoke progressive people, right? It's so scary. They really believe in their core. Mm -hmm. I treat everybody the same. But could you imagine somebody going up to Larry O'Day and saying, you got three kids, so they all you have to all have the same baby mama, right? <laughs> the thought would never occur to them, right? No. But a black woman yeah. in leadership, yeah. right? City hall. There are some status quo people within city hall mm-hmm. that are absolutely petrified of me being on the Portland City Council. Of course they are, and they are petrified because they know the status quo will be disrupted. Mm-hmm. Chloe U. Daly, newest uh, county co- uh, city commissioner elected last election cycle that replaced Steve Novak, mm-hmm. right? Uh, first time an incumbent had been taken out in quite mm-hmm. some time. Mm-hmm. Um, needs help. Mm-hmm. She's a real progressive voice. The thing I love about her, she ran on affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And guess what? She's been working on affordable housing. Okay. And every affordable housing win that has come out of City Hall in the last year came out because of her work. Wow. Now, that's not her portfolio. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. city councilors are assigned bureaus, right? Mm-hmm. And so basically, you manage a bureau, right, or two or three, whatever the mayor gives you. Okay. So the mayor gets to decide, gets to distribute bureaus, mm-hmm. and as a commissioner, I get what I get. Mm-hmm. I see my job very differently than former city commissioners have seen their job. My job is to make sure that I have the best director for whatever bureaus I'm responsible for, Mm -hmm. that they understand that problems come to me first and we problem shoot. Because if I read about it in the paper, they should be looking for another job, right? Um, But after that, my job is not to micromanage the day-to-day operations of the city of Portland. My job is to make sure that we're passing policies that make sense and are being implemented in every corner of the city as intended. Mm -hmm. That's my job. 
That's how I see my job, mm-hmm. right? Which means my job is not limited to whatever bureau I'm assigned to. Mm-hmm. I tell people, people don't live in silos. So, right, say I'm transportation commissioner, mm-hmm. right? And you come to me because you have an issue having to do with permitting. If I say to you, well, I'm sorry, that's not my department. You got to go talk to so-and-so. I have failed you as your elected leader, right? That's not my department. What is this, a call center? My my job (laughs) is to say, well, let's do a three-way conversation and see if we can troubleshoot this and find out where the problem is, right? That's my job. My job is not to say I can only have this window. Mm -hmm. Having two people on the city council with that mindset, you're not the boss of me. I'm duly elected. I get to work on the issues I care about. Mm-hmm. I will manage the barrels that I've been assigned, mm-hmm. but I'm not limited to that. And you don't get to limit my interaction, right? Chloe yeah. will have help. And let's see, uh, Amanda will either change or be replaced in 2020 when she's up for election again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I really, really supported Amanda Fritz in her first two years, but I have not found her to be an uh, effective visionary leader Mm. Um, she's way 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 too in the weeds right Mm. Um, I want her to be good I thought that she could be Mm -hmm. and maybe she still could be but I think that she I think she's given away her power she used to say well the boys just won't let me to me as someone who has been in the Navy someone who has run nonprofits, someone who's been in the legislative body which is pretty male dominated mm-hmm. for a woman in power to tell me that the boys won't let them is not a uh, it's not a rallying cry for me that says to me we got the wrong person in that seat right because nobody's gonna let me do anything I'm gonna do things because I can count the three because <laughs> I know I need three votes to do anything on the city council right. and here's the secret no politician wants to consistently be on the losing end of a 3-2 vote. Yeah. Not if they want to get reelected, right? right? So, all of a sudden, uh, we moved the city council a bit to the left. Mm-hmm. I have a great work relationship with Ted Wheeler. His staff hates me, but Ted Wheeler likes me, and mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. I've known him since he, was, since he ran for Multnomah County Chair. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he is much more progressive then he appears mm. uh, based on what's come out of his office over the last year. Mm. I think his biggest stumbling block is that they rely on the law rather than common sense. His mm. office, everything is through a legal lens. Mm-hmm. And we don't live through legal lenses. We live through, how does this impact the 60-year-old woman in my neighborhood on the freeway overpass begging for money? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know, right, what the legal ease uh, position is, right? Mm-hmm. It is so it really frust- his office frustrates me because yeah. they could be doing so much more, and they get bogged down because they've got lawyers with the best law degrees money can buy, mm-hmm. the best political pedigrees money can buy, right? And no common sense when it comes to the city of Portland. No deep roots, no deep relationships. So people can sell them anything, and they believe it. Because they have nobody to check it with. Yeah. Which is why I respect Ted Willow so much. Mm-hmm. Because he started having these monthly meetings because he knew I was not going to sugarcoat my conversations with him behind closed doors. But not just me. He invites a group of people in. Unfortunately, I'm the most vocal and outspoken. I come into every meeting with my own agenda. Uh, and he comes in with one, but I always supersede his agenda, right? Because it's because when I come in, mm-hmm. these are the issues that are on the forefront of people's mind in the community that are that are that are being harmed, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the things I want him to focus on. 
When I looked at his last agenda and he wanted to talk about the Jefferson and Grant basketball uh, championship, I, I just ignored it, right? Because for me, I, I wanted what to... Was he, what did he talk about that for? Just to, to show that he was connected to the community or something? Well, I mean, right. I mean, you're meeting with black people, so okay. I guess so black people want to talk about, about basketball, basketball. Right? And maybe it's because the young man, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, that's now doing housing for him, uh, Cupid. Maybe Cupid thought that that was a cool thing to put on the agenda. I don't know. But I've always ignored that agenda because I go in and this last meeting, I was so angry. I only wanted to talk about the auditor's report. Yeah. I was like, you know, this is criminal. Mm -hmm. And in fact, rather than giving more police, we need to actually halt any more resources going into the police bureau. Yeah. I shared with the mayor uh, that I think they need to go on an austerity plan which means that if they're not solving crime or preventing crime, whatever else they need to stop until we have a deep analysis of every position within Portland Police Bureau mm -hmm. and what they do. Mm -hmm. Because every time we get a sneak peek inside, we find out supervision doesn't happen, accountability doesn't happen, mm -hmm. people talk a good game. Remember the national publicity, Portland Police are gonna stop keeping a gang list. The auditor found 1,000 people on a secret gang list inside Portland Police Bureau Gang Enforcement Unit, and they rotated every month the top 30 dangerous gangsters, except they had no criteria to label someone a uh, the most severe gangsters. Of course they did. So what, what would Danielle be able to do with that? So with that, now that's an interesting question, because I think what Danielle should do is disband the uh, the gang enforcement unit. She has the no, power to do. She so. has the power to. It, they all work for her. As a paramilitary operation, mm -hmm. they're supposed to do what the boss says. Okay. And so, quite frankly, she so she can dismantle the whole thing if she wants. She can dis. There are twenty eight officers at a cost of eight million dollars that don't wouldn't know a gangster if they fell over one mm -hmm. because with the outcomes that mm -hmm. they've shown mm -hmm. clearly they have no clue what gangsters look like yeah. right yeah. because all they look at is color mm -hmm. and then the color has to prove that they're not a gangster mm -hmm. and their own data shows that right yeah. but when you have i mean i would be embarrassed i would have at least tried to make up something that sounds kind of reasonable when a researcher said well how do you decide who to pull over well, we don't have any criteria. We just it's just based on our our uh, experience and our expertise, right? <laughs> there all right. What gangs are even really active in Portland like that? You know, I gotta tell you, I'm from Baltimore. Yeah. So when I came here and people were talking about this gang problem rehab, uh -huh. I was rolling out in the He's floor. laughing. He like I was, this I was is like, I was like, I can show you gangs, okay? right? I, what, what and that's that? what I'm saying. Yes. So there was Bloods and Crips, and I was yes. coming up in the yes. 90s. That yes. was real. Yes, yes. Okay, well, I'm going to right? And Columbia Villa, Villa right? Yes. Okay. So but, that's... I mean, there was one person dying at Columbia Villa, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, gangs were rampant. Now, let me tell you how that happens. Hmm. Do you know that the police bureau has what they call public information officers that all day long write press releases to the media to tell them who's committing crimes, where the crimes are happening, and how dangerous various communities are, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. If we, the community, had full-time PR people to paint a picture to the media, right? Mm -hmm. Which as we know is lazy nowadays. They don't actually go out and talk to people, mm -hmm. right? They take the press release and read it as if it's news, right? When I do trainings, I tell people that you need to be able to unpack 
what you hear on the evening news and read in a newspaper. For example, when you hear the teaser, gang shooting, story at 11. What's the first visual you see? Black male, somewhere between 14 and 24 years old. That's the visual, right? Because mm -hmm. we have been conditioned that that's what a gang member looks like, mm -hmm. right? That's the conditioning. But and even when they say gang shooting, it's not even gang members. Like, there will be people that I know, personally, yes, like, right. they're not in the gang. I absolutely. Right. <laughs> when it's I, not a gang. When I first started working on this, yeah. I would be in the room with police and i say, please tell me what a gangster look like, right? Because I need to be able to see, I need to be able to get out of the way if I'm actually walking in a gang territory, right? Mm -hmm. You know what they were telling me? Well, it's, it's the... One officer who was actually in charge of the gang enforcement unit at that time yeah. told me if they wear their hat sideways, they're part of this gang. If they wear it backwards, backwards, they're part of this gang. I said, isn't that just fashion? Isn't that just hip-hop fashion? That's all it is. It's like, how would you... If they wear a handkerchief out of this pocket... I mean, they had all... They, because they create the narrative. Mm -hmm. But the but, thing... And, and they believe it, though. But what it is, they're just... Well, no, no. Their job is to sell fear to white homeowners. Mm -hmm. The police whole process is the more fear you sell to white homeowners, the more pressure they put on the city council to hire more police. Mm -hmm. It's a very, in fact now, if you call any police precinct, here's the message you'll get. Due to staffing shortages, we don't have anyone to answer the phone. And then they go through a 10 minute list of, if you want this, you know, call mm -hmm. this number. If you need this, call that, right? Any precinct you call. Mm -hmm. The police are out doing community meetings now at neighborhood associations because they want to help people identify public safety issues in their community. You know what they're doing? They're out organizing homeowners to actually put pressure on the city council to hire more cops. I have seen <laughs> this. This happens every budget cycle. I am money. appalled that they use public funds mm -hmm. on public time in public places that have been designed for community voices and they use it to scare people for their own benefit. My uh, national night out in my old neighbor, I used to live on 167th in Southeast Stock. Mm -hmm. I was at a neighborhood night out. Mm -hmm. Officer came and said, Max is bringing crime to your neighborhood. Gangsters are living in cells in these apartments right at the max line. And so if you see somebody you don't know, you call the police. I put my hand up. 10,000 new people moved here in the last year. How you gonna know them all? Right? <laughs> right? I mean, it was just the most ludicrous thing. Yeah. But people who aren't paying attention every day, mm -hmm. most, pe most white middle class people mm -hmm. trust explicitly the police. Because mm -hmm. their lived experiences, they're there to protect them. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, they are there to protect them. But that's to not, protect them. That's not most people of color's lived experience. Oh, yeah, no. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're there to protect right. them, right. not to protect so us. So they don't even question it, right? Of course, because they know that they're looking out right. for their best yes. white supremacist interests. Yes. So just like Oregon has been doing since yes. its inception. Since its inception. Hey, keep those black people away from me. Yeah. Never so missed a beat, right? It's, it's on autopilot. Yes. Really quickly, I want right. to get into a question from um, one of my listeners. All right. 
they say how will you spearhead an advanced warning system list i don't know if that's a thing or if that's something you can create of low-income properties going on the market using the money from the 258 million dollar bond measure housing bond yeah yes. for low-income renters especially since there doesn't seem to be a mechanism for knowing when an apartment complex yes. or houses on the market yes. to be bought yes and that so holgate manor property management okay so i uh i participated in a press conference uh mm -hmm. this week I was trying to think of what day this is. Yeah, this week still. Yeah. Um, at Holgate Manor. Mm -hmm. There are 82 families who live in Holgate Manor. Mm -hmm. The original owner bought the property as a place for recent immigrant and refugees and other low-income people to be able to create community. Mm -hmm. Owner died, mm -hmm. right? All of a sudden, a California investor makes an offer mm. to buy the property. Of course, somebody from California right? did it, yeah. All of a sudden, tenants are getting these notices that say if they move out by the end of the month, they'll get extra twelve hundred bucks, right? Because the goal is just to get them just all out of there as out. quickly as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in this complex, most people English is not their first language, mm -hmm. so the fact that you would put notices like that um, to residents who you know the bulk of them don't speak English. Mm -hmm. Um, is making sure that they're not getting good information on what their rights are, right? Mm -hmm. um, the fact that a California developer could find out that this property was about to be on the market, I mean, a California investor could find out, mm -hmm. and Portland Housing Bureau had no idea, is absolutely ludicrous, mm -hmm. right? So, what I think is we need to figure out, we need to actually talk to that California investor mm -hmm. and find out how he got a heads up, right? So that we can be ahead of the curve. Now, mm -hmm. right now, the tenants are advocating that Portland Housing Bureau buy uh, that, uh, that property, mm -hmm. renovate it, and keep it permanently low income, right? That would be the right thing to do. Uh, the city of Portland, um, it's not acting like there's a housing emergency, right? We're just kind of building housing the way we always have, with a couple of caveats, giving developers some real sweet giveaways mm. to add three or four affordable housing units, right? <laughs> uh, we will never build our way out of the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. And I say this everywhere I go. By the way, we didn't have a housing crisis until white people could no longer afford to live in the city of Portland. <laughs> Between 2000 and 2010, mm -hmm. 10,000 black families were displaced from inner Northeast. Oh, yeah. Not a peep out of anybody. Right? Of course not. And I, you should know mm -hmm. that in all white audiences, in all retired audiences, my message is the same. Right? So people know that what they see is what they get. And so some people are giddy about that and some people are really freaked out that the status quo is going to change because mm -hmm. I'm not a status quo kind of person, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so that's what I have to do. I have to be the one that says, so I want to know how many properties today are owned by government that we could just lock into low-income housing, mm -hmm. permanent low-income housing, mm -hmm. without a developer, a... Uh, we don't need a developer to actually just lock down land that we can use later that is already owned by the, the government to build future affordable housing. Is there, um, it seems like there's more incentive for the government, the local government, to bring the developers in. Is that correct? Is there so, more incentive to have them come in there and build these luxury condos as opposed to 
have low income because the government will have to spend money for the low income. No, so here, I have learned so much on this campaign trail. Mm-hmm. I used to think, why would anybody build $1.25 million condos on North Williams Avenue, right? right? Yeah. A, and B, who the heck would buy a $1.2 million condo? Mm-hmm. I have spoken with a lot of developers because my goal isn't to demonize any segment of the community that I need to help us to, fix to this support, problem, yeah, right? Yeah. I have learned that you know who pays for the street improvements? Developers. I talked to a developer yesterday that told me he had to spend $450,000 on street improvements Mm. in order to build his property. Mm. This developer told me that he was buying up empty lots that had been vacant in inner Northeast forever. Right, mm. nobody wanted them. He bought, he, he got them cheap, mm-hmm. and he just was buying them up because he wanted to do housing different. I mean, he wanted to actually be part of renovating mm-hmm. the community, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get to the city's permitting process, the city's permitting process is all about the city making money, mm. right? Mm-hmm. If you, as a private business owner, have to have $450,000 to do street improvements Mm -hmm. before you can get a permit to build your apartment? Are you building low-income affordable units? Are you building units that you can recoup some of your costs? So that's what I'm saying. How do we, because it seems like only those people can survive in this market, how can we even potentially create low income if there's no incentive to do it? See, I want to bring those people to the same table. I envision a table where houseless people are, where developers are, mm-hmm. where nonprofit developers are, other community members of interest, mm-hmm. and actually figuring that out yeah. in a very public way, in a way that invites uh, opinion and input, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it's fair that any one developer gets all kind of tax breaks and all kind of bennies from the government mm-hmm. when they're building properties that are going to end up being $1.2 million, right? Mm-hmm. I was, I am so appreciative of what I've learned, right? Mm-hmm. Across the board, everybody hates the Bureau of Development Services where you have to go to get permits, <laughs> whether you're improving your home, putting a sign outside your bed. Everybody hates them mm-hmm. because the process adds one year and at least $10,000 to any improvement that you're doing. Mm. Now, if we are about supporting small businesses and helping small small businesses to thrive, mm-hmm. why do we have a, I don't call them by their new name, the former PDC, mm. also I'll call PP, but I won't call them because they haven't been prosperous for anybody that I know, right? <laughs> um, great example. So there's a new project, Broadway project that, the, that, PD, that formerly PDC put out a request for qualifications bid for, which means contractors around the country have an opportunity to put a package together and say, this is what we're going to do. There were four responders. One, the most diverse development team you'd ever imagine, including Andrew Colas and Maxine Fitzpatrick. Okay. Right? Yeah. Superstar team, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know that formerly PDC, did not even set them up for an interview, told them that they didn't make the cut. All three firms that they're gonna interview are all out of town. Denver, San Francisco, and I forget the third city, 
right? Yeah. So here's this, again, it's like they were reorganized to focus on Portland yeah. and not focused on bringing, now who in their right mind would have this dream team of local developers and they not even get an interview? To me, that's, and in fact, I wrote the mayor yesterday and said, isn't it stupid, right? It's like, how can this be, right? So, are they, so somebody's getting paid. So here's the thing. What's the if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And most of us aren't at the table. Mm-hmm. Or one or two of us are there, but their role is to be gatekeepers mm-hmm. and just make sure that there aren't too many of us coming trying to get a piece of that pie, right? Mm-hmm. So we just got to bust that open, right? Mm-hmm. We got to call it out in, in public, right? Mm-hmm. And my job is to know who's out there who has the expertise and bring them to the table, mm-hmm. right? I stopped TriMet from signing a contract with Portland Patrol, Inc. Again, not my job, not in my bailiwick, not even on my agenda. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden I realized TriMet was about to give $4.2 million annually to Portland Patrol, Inc., which is a private security firm started and managed by former Portland police officers and ex-military personnel. A no-bid contract of $4.2 million annually to provide security on max and bus lines, right? I called up uh, Bruce Warren. How recent was this? Oh, just a couple months ago. Okay. Yeah, and I made him come to the NAACP executive committee. We beat him up. Right? Yeah, yeah. And they were supposed to come to the general meeting, but I don't know if they did to the next general meeting because I wanted the general membership to beat him up. Yeah. Right? I said to him, I didn't see an RFP. I didn't see a request for proposals for security service on Max. He got very quiet. Bruce Warner, the board chair of TriMet, mm-hmm. got very quiet. Then he finally said, oh, it was a single source. I said, a single source? You single source with a private security firm for $4.2 million of public money? And here's the insidious part. So the DAs no longer prosecute ferry evaders because the DAs in Washington County, Multnomah County, and Clackamas County, which is the service area of TriMet, mm-hmm. um, all have a uh, triple overrepresentation of people of color of the ones who are sanctioned for not having paid their two dollars and fifty cents. Of right? course, of course. And here's how it works. As most people know, the inspector comes on, the fair inspector gets to decide whether you get a citation or whether you get a a uh, ticket that says you're interfering with public transportation, right? Mm-hmm. Interfering with public transportation is a crime, mm. punishable possibly by jail time. It is a crime. It's a misdemeanor crime, but it is a crime, mm-hmm. right? Now, most people they get a citation, like a parking ticket, right? Mm-hmm. I found out last night that that parking ticket is now $367, which is abs- For the max? For a $2.50 fare you didn't pay. If you get a ticket for not being able to prove you paid your fare, a judge in Multnomah County told me last night that it's 300 and some odd dollars. Oh right? my. But that's only if you actually can afford to take off work, have transportation to get downtown, blah, 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 blah. Right? A parking anyway, ticket is only like 40 or 50 bucks. How what's that? A parking ticket is only like right. 40 Actually, p- parking ticket's 44 bucks. 44 I know because I get lots of them. Because <laughs> going to yeah. uh, public meetings and people from. pontificate yeah. and my meter runs out and I get a yeah. ticket, right? Uh, so anyway, I called Bruce Warner. I found his cell. Mm-hmm. I pretty much stalked him. 
Mm. Because I found because I thought, wait, this is just another way to target our kids, right? Mm-hmm. And this time it'll be out of the public eye mm-hmm. because it won't be prosecuted through the legal system. Mm-hmm. There'll be an administrative judge process, mm-hmm. which means we have no access to the data because they're they're hiring a private firm that has no responsibility to tell the public who they stopped, what the fines were, ex- nothing, right? Why supremacy? Uh, uh, um. uh, <laughs> Portland Business Alliance downtown right now with their clean and safe program, mm-hmm. they harass and target people of color, houseless people on a regular basis, and we can't get data. Because again, we give them public dollars to serve a private business purpose, mm-hmm. and we have no accountability over what they do. Mm. And so if, when I'm in there, if they want security downtown, they should pay for it themselves. Why the heck is the city putting in tax dollars for businesses to feel safe downtown? We mm-hmm. already give you cops. Mm-hmm. Why are we paying you additional money? Because the cops have to make sure the gangsters are well, off the streets. The, the cops <laughs> say the gangsters are now in East Portland, right? Everything they used to say about inner Northeast, they now say about East Portland, my neighborhood. Of course. Right? Of course. And the only difference is the complexion of the people in my neighborhood have changed over the last decade. Mm-hmm. And we're the only ones that have gangs and there's no white gangs whatsoever. I keep asking, <laughs> with the rise in white supremacy, uh-huh. how is it even possible that white gangs aren't like out of control? Because right? it could, oh, that they're not out of control? I mean, that, that the numbers aren't just skyrocketing. Well, it, that's, that's the thing, though. We're in Portland where it's pretty much all white, so you don't have any opposition except for... A few pockets of town. Yes. Because, I mean, it was more people of color in the city. Yes. Back when we first, yes. you know what I mean, right. come up in the night. Now yes. everybody's, and they're just there by themselves. And unfortunately, in East Portland, in my community, mm-hmm. you never know what police agency you're dealing with. There's mm-hmm. Multnomah County Gang Enforcement Task Force. There's Portland Police. There's Gresham Police. Mm-hmm. Right? There's Homeland Security. So they all walk around looking with the same kind of uniform. You have no idea. There's ICE. You, you yeah. just don't know who's who. Right? It is. I, so once again, I live in a community. When I live in the inner northeast, mm-hmm. we were oversaturated with police and no other community services were available. Once again, now I live in East Portland. We're oversaturated with police. You can get police anytime. Because, mm-hmm. you know, police will show up. Mm-hmm. Right? But ask for support services to help somebody like get through an alcohol and drug treatment program. Like, oh, we ain't got money for that, right? Mm-hmm. But by golly, we got money we for got police. Money to keep right? these black and brown folks down. Well, and to just, I mean, we, I believe that there are a majority of Portlanders that believe in justice, mm-hmm. believe in giving everybody a fair shake, mm-hmm. but most don't know the systemic inequalities that have actually been built into our systems from the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you look at graduation rates, people say, well, they just don't study hard enough, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to really understand the history to understand how far behind black and brown kids start off, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To me, it's amazing how many are successful, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Based on the deck that's stacked against them, right? And I have to say nowadays, with the term people of color, African-Americans aren't even talked about no. unless we're talking about disparate outcomes. Yep. And to me, it is it, we have become invisible. Yep. We are the invisible minority today, mm-hmm. right, in Oregon. Because, mm-hmm. you know, because we are. That's uh, why I get, I get really disturbed when people just start 
lumping using that term people yeah. of color yes yes uh they start talking about diversity is diversity that yes. so you can be pro-diversity but still anti-black yes 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 you could be pro gay you yes. can be pro whatever yes. whatever right but you're still the source of what you yes. really hate what you really you know right black people all right we right. don't like them but everybody else under that right. diverse umbrella under that whatever is right. it's fair yes. game <laughs> i mean and quite frankly it is so easy right yeah. for a white liberal to say you know i'm like i i i I love everybody, right? I have friends from all all kind of different communities. Mm -hmm. I ask people, so what do you do for fun? Where do you hang out, right? Mm -hmm. As a small business owner who does a lot of training around diversifying boards and diversifying staffs, mm -hmm. I get the calls. We need to diversify our board. Can you send me some black people? <laughs> Flat out, that's what they say. Right, I mean, they say more flowery, right? Uh -huh. But that's the gist of what they say, right? right. And my response is no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I go, what have you done on your board to prepare your board to be more diverse? Because mm -hmm. you have to know, you can't just bring a person and have them represent the entire race, right, <laughs> uh, that's ever lived. And so the good news when you work for yourself <laughs> is you get to choose what, what work you take. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are people I just won't work for because they just want to shortcut. They just want to put a black person on there and ask them all their black questions, right? <laughs> um, I've been in Oregon long enough. You've been in plenty of those. I've situations. been in plenty of those meetings. In fact, when I was working for Bev Stein, I remember asking someone at a meeting because I was just so sick of people telling this particular meeting of elected officials and other opinion leaders what the black community wanted, oh. right? And I had assumed they had talked to one of three people, Sam Brooks, Ron Herndon, um, and there was another person. And I knew it was one of those three that they had talked to. Uh -huh. I leaned across the table and said, tell me, who's the white man in Northwest Portland I can talk to to find out what white people think? <laughs> you should have saw the color drain out of the gentleman's face. You should have saw uh -huh. the just, just he was just speechless it took him a moment to be able to complete to cre uh, create a complete sentence right yeah, yeah. and um and i went back and told my boss bev stein that i did it because uh -huh. i just wanted to make sure i closed the loop hey just want you to know hey if you get a phone call this is what i said <laughs> and i loved her because she was all, she always had my back yeah, loved her yeah. um and so but i mean that's how insidious it is right oh yeah here you are in a room with uh with people with lived experience but your privilege allows you to think you know better because you've had a conversation with one or three black men one of three black men mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so you got this because you're friends with Ron Herndon so you know exactly what's going on in the black community really right right based on what um but but people get away with that right because in polite Portland we wouldn't dare question that because we know their heart's in the right place right we know they mean well right and meaning well hasn't gotten us anywhere. No. And so what we need are not people who are just going to maintain the status quo, right? We need people who are going to actually push for real outcomes, right? The older I get, the less I care about what they say they're going to do. I'm just looking at the end result. Right. Did you did you achieve it? Right. And if you haven't achieved it, why would you contract with the same person next time? Mm -hmm. And the time after that? And why is there no penalties for actually not reaching the goals that you've set? Yeah. Do you, here's a great example. Uh, a couple of years ago, City of Portland contracted for 200,000 hours of electrician hours, right? Mm 
Mm-hmm. African Americans got 10.3 of those hours. 200,000 hours, 10.3, which means one person got a little bit of overtime. Mm. That's it, That's right? It, yeah. But when it was presented to the city council, it was presented as we were very successful in reaching our minority women and emerging small business goals. We came in at 23%. When I challenged it with the mayor at the city council meeting in public, mm-hmm. I said, you know, that's not helpful for me. I want to know how many black people got work, how many um, Latinos, how many Native Americans, how many women. I want the demographic. I want all the breakdown, right? Mm-hmm. Giving me this clump category tells me nothing, right? Yeah. You know what he told me? We've had the software for a decade and at, in the city of Portland. Mm-hmm. They've never used it to disaggregate the data so that you know exactly. And you know why? Because they don't want to know. They don't. Well, they, because, they, don't, they don't want to be, they don't want to tell the truth. No, and I, you know, I have said for the last couple of years, I find it fascinating that the sitting commissioners don't actually read what they're voting on. I can't tell you how many millions I've saved the city from uh, from spending mm. because I actually read what they were voting on. Mm. And so to have staff people, Mike Reese was the worst. Former police chief, Portland police chief Mike oh, yeah. Reese, yeah. and current Multnomah County sheriff. He was the absolute worst. Yeah. I stopped the city council from spending $840,000 to buy body camps because he told the city council that he was just looking, right? This proposal is just about us looking to see what's out there. I know we have no policy yet. We have no plans to purchase, but this is just for us. And I'm sitting there reading the document at an affirmative city council vote, the RFP will be released, and blah, 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 blah. I had to go up and read it to the city council. Yeah. Hysterical. Uh, and uh, Commissioner uh, Nick Fish, mm-hmm. I mean, this is how insane this is, right? Now, I, I run nonprofits, I run my own small business. I, you know, this is not rocket science, right? RFP and letter of inquiry are two very different things. A letter of inquiry is when you're looking. Mm-hmm. When you send out a request for proposals, that means you're buying. You've set the expectation that you're going to purchase something, right? Because mm-hmm. no one spends the time that you spend on a request for proposal if you're just looking, yeah. right? That's why a lot of inquiry fills in for that when you're just looking. Mm-hmm. So uh, Commissioner Nick Fish had to call purchasing and have the poor woman who drew the, the short straw come and sit next to me at the city council. Mm-hmm. And he said to her, have you been listening to the city council meeting? She said, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Did you hear what Miss Hardesty said? Yes, I did. Do you have any comments? Miss Hardesty is correct. Thank you very much. Huh? Like, do it. they not read? Or do they not have staff that are supposed to prepare them for their city council? Well, there, I guess, is there no, there's no repercussion. It's just money in the budget, right? And it's not their money. And it's not their money. Right. They're, they're not spending their money. They're, they're spending, spending money. everybody else's money. Right, so right. they can care less. Spending $3.84 billion annually and you're not even reading what you're voting on? I mm-hmm. mean, when I was a legislator, I took stocks that high home at night because I knew I had to vote on it the next day, and I wasn't voting on anything I hadn't actually read. Well, look, like I said, people don't want competition, and they don't want to do the work. That's why that's, that's that's why Salzman, he, he, yes. that's why, Eight, he, just like you said. Years, right. 16 years? He said, what? She came, first of all, she came to my office right. and told me what yes. she was about to do. Right, right. And I've seen her work. Yes. So I know that she's going to do it. And he knew what I can do. He knows I can put thousands of people in the street. He knows I can fill up the city council chambers. Mm-hmm. So he, and he knows he that knows. I talk well. 
So and y'all, I have data. I need y'all to understand Joanne Hardesty. She puts in the work. I do. And she has these people running when they find out that she's coming to compete for their spot because they know that she's going to take it. That's right. So I want y'all to don't don't let that pass. Of, of all the things <laughs> that you've heard in this, do not let that pass you by. Joanne is putting in the work and she's going to get things done. Yes. She's going to read the paperwork. Yes. She's going to save the city money and, money and she's going to make change. Yes. It's going to happen. It is definitely going to happen. And I have to say, there's a lot of excitement about my campaign. Yeah. I Just earlier today, we had our canvassers going out. There's only 38 days left. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is, let's see, 20 days before. So there's only 18 days left to register to vote. Mm-hmm. So if their listeners aren't registered, Do they can now. go online, go to the Multnomah County Elections homepage. It is easy. You could do it in less than two minutes. Yeah. Right. If you've moved, you've got to update your voter registration mm-hmm. if you have changed your name you need to update your voter registration do not wait till the last minute because it's coming fast yeah. 38 days are going to go like that real quick real quick so i appreciate everything that you've given thank <laughs> you this, so much I hope and i know you're up against the clock because you got to be somewhere at six yes o'clock. i do so i do this uh this last segment is called the fab five five questions that i ask okay. everybody okay. okay um so question number one who is your favorite artist, and what song or album made you fall in love with that musical Ooh. artist? Yeah. Luther Vandross, here and now. Luther, okay. Luther, Luther's my man, yeah. yes. Okay, so Luther That's Vandross. an easy one, yeah. <laughs> so that was quick. That's quick. It didn't I take you no time. about that, right? Last person like, oh, I got three people, nah, nah. I got four albums. Like, no, no, I ain't got nah, time. Nah, Luther. All right, um, is there a movie that has affected your outlook on life? Oh my gosh, uh, the Black Panther movie, yeah. right? Okay. It was like, I did not know how much I would enjoy that movie. I mean, I thought it would be pretty cool. Yeah. It's like Black Universe, right? Right. I had no idea when I saw the the bad women oh, yeah. warriors. Uh-huh. I was like, yes, yeah. yes, right? Uh-huh. I thought, man, what this will do for uh, three, four, five, seven, eight, ten teenagers what this will do for mm-hmm. their image of what's possible, mm-hmm. right? Um, I love that. I wish that had been made like 30 years ago. I know, I know. It's, it's that that's, that's going to go down as one of my all-time favorites, For sure, right? yeah, yes. Easily. I mean, my son is eight, my yes. daughter is three. Uh-huh. I took him twice. Nice, good, good, right, <laughs> I took right. him Friday night and Saturday night. I Saturday, ex- I was like, hey, y'all, get dressed. We're going to go see Black uh, Panther again. <laughs> that's going to be one of those that we're going to have to like, once it's available for sale, that will oh. be in the home library. Oh, for sure. It's got to be in the home library. Every yes. black family. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Required <laughs> no viewing. Yes. Right. Um, question number three. When you start to feel overwhelmed, and I'm sure you are, you know, all the time doing all this stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, how do you de-stress? I check out. I take a couple of days off. Mm-hmm. I don't answer email, phone calls, respond to, I, I just go, right? Mm-hmm. I, I either go to the mountains, go to the water. Nice. Um, Sometimes I go to Vegas. I I just I just totally disconnect, right? right. And I am really really good at disconnecting because yeah. I know that I need to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be immersed in this kind of stuff twenty four seven without doing the self care. So yeah. for me, it's about just taking a couple of days, mm-hmm. and it's just all about me. Word. So nails did massages, you right? Know, yeah. All of that. Just all 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 about me for those two days. That's good. So and you I'm got back. your self care routine down. I do. You know how to do it. I do. And That's in good. fact, I have friends that will call me to say, 
Look at your nails, right? Because for me, it's like if my nails look bad, that means I'm not doing self-care, right? right? And so it's a good check-in. I have people who remind me that I have to do that. Yeah, that's good. Question number four, uh, what book would you recommend everyone to read right now? Uh, The New Jim Crow, Michelle Mm, Michelle Alexander. Alexander. Yes, I'm amazed that there are people on the planet that haven't read that book yet. Yeah. Uh, but I got to tell you, that book moved. It didn't just move me. I read that book as part of a book club, right? Mm-hmm. And it's only like six chapters. So it's like, that's so it. It's, that's it. Six chapters. And we would meet for an hour, uh, hour maybe hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it over six weeks? I think it was like every other Saturday for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And we discussed the chapter and then we'd go back. That book, when I finished it, when I got to the end, it, I had to do something. Yeah. So guess what I did? Hmm. Worked with a group of people. We did two town halls, community town halls at hmm. PCC Cascade just to talk about the book and what we learned from yeah. the book and how to connect the book to what was happening in Oregon. Yeah. Both of those town halls happened like within three months of each other and both had over 100 participants. Hmm. Then we brought Michelle Alexander to town in partnership with PCC Cascade, standing room only at Emmanuel Temple Church. We had a community fair where I brought in community members who are working on the issues that were addressed in Michelle's book. Michelle Alexander was fabulous. You could actually go online and see the entire program. I love, there's a picture that shows Michelle Alexander looking at me intently while I'm talking. (laughs) I love that picture. (laughs) If I'd have been able to reach her, I'd have put that on my campaign material, right? right? But have to get permission before you do that. Um, So I think that's one of those, that was one of those, no new information, but laid out in a way Mm -hmm. that was understandable and allowed people to connect the dots, to understand that none of this is accidental. Mm -mm. Now, I've purchased that book, but I haven't read it. Okay. So I feel bad. No, no. But my reason for not reading is because, have you seen the 13th documentary on Netflix? Yes, yes, yes. So I felt like after I watched 13th, like, do I really need to read yeah, it? Yeah, but did I really need to go there? <laughs> well, I mean, what I love, But I hear that the book still has some stuff that, like... What I love about her was yeah. the intense research she did, yeah. right? So it wasn't just, you know, this was the outcome of XYZ. But she knew when she was writing that book that there would be people trying to discredit her research. Right. So her footnotes are better than anybody's footnotes I've ever seen in a book, yeah, right? Yeah. She actually uh, has everything laid out. There's another book. Oh, it's going to go out of my head, but hopefully I'll think about it as you get to question five. Okay. Question number five. What message do you want now? You won't be able to enjoy it. Mm. Uh, you won't be there to enjoy it. But what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? I want my eulogy to say that Joanne did the work. Mm-hmm. Joanne showed up for communities that had no voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did it regardless of who was paying attention mm-hmm. and who got credit. If that's it said in my eulogy, I would feel like, yep, it's just been a good one. Simply right? put. Simply put. Joanne did the work. She did the work. She showed up mm-hmm. with no self-interest. Well, you doing and it. And no care about who got the credit. Word. Yeah. You're doing it. And I think, uh, you know, as selfless as you are, I think that's going to help propel you to the next level. Um, because 
what you're putting out into the into the atmosphere into the universe like it's it's gonna come back it is coming back it is coming it's back coming oh back. my gosh if you saw the diversity of people who are just giddy mm-hmm. i mean diversity in race age uh gender uh it has just been just overwhelming yeah. how many people are like we gotta do this right <laughs> and we do yeah. this is our opportunity mm-hmm. right to really start changing that dynamic yeah right because the reality is is if we keep using those pretty words and getting the same results we've already always gotten mm-hmm. then our people will continue to suffer yeah and there's too many riches in this community for that yeah Thank you so much. I'm Thank so glad you. you did this. No doubt. I, I appreciate you so much for doing this. Hey, we'll this. do this again. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen uh, after you get elected, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so election, what, what's the election day again? May 15th. May 15th, y'all. Yes, and ballots will be coming out in two weeks. Coming out soon. Uh, ballot uh, uh, pamphlets will be coming out in two weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it's just all And vote as soon as possible, like as soon yes. as you get your ballot. Yes. Because I'm a big people fan. are influenced yes. by those numbers, by those early numbers. Yes, don't Don't be fooled. Like, it, right. it matters. It really matters. I can tell you today that I'm already ahead because I got an email from a couple that were going to be out of the country. Uh-huh. And they wanted to make sure that I knew yeah. that they called Multnomah County Elections Office, let them know they were going to be out of the country mm-hmm. and were allowed to vote early. Wow. And they wanted me to know that they both voted for me. Okay. So I'm already in the lead. Yeah, so already leading. Just need your help That's to get over the, the finish line. Yeah, man. So make sure y'all vote for Joanne because she's doing some good work out here. Really. Um, Thank you. So thank you once again. My Appreciate pleasure. y'all for listening. Once again, this is the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Joanne is unapologetically kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> Got incumbents leaving office because they know that she's coming. So I want y'all to be on the right side of history and vote for Joanne. All right. Grace and peace to y'all. Any, any last words, Joanne? My last word is I also want your help in changing how governance happens in the city of Portland. I'm with it's it. not just about voting for me, yeah. but it's about working with me so that we change this. Let's do it. All right. We'll make something happen. All right. All right. Love it. I'll let y'all later. Peace. Yes, good news. That good news. I'm evidence. Oh, I gave you the truest me, my truest speech. True and deep.